Hi listeners, it's Carter, here to tell you about an incredible event celebrating the launch of ParCast's first book, Cults. On July 13th, crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together for a night of true crime to remember. And you can be part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and so much more. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. It's a wonderful cause and an evening perfect for any true crime fan. But time is running out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of Parcast's new book, Cults. So don't wait. Sign up at parcast.com slash cults. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Yoruba traditions. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Let the talking drums speak. Let the talking drums speak about the essence of a liar. One who takes much but gives little. One who revels in the art of deception and the chaos it brings. One who yearns to control everything because he knows he is powerless. Let us speak of a trickster. Eshu. The other Orishas have ascended into the Sky Kingdom, leaving Eshu aimless walking alone among humanity. The other Orishas found their purpose, while Eshu's eludes him. But instead of looking for it, he fills his days stirring up chaos. It's so, so annoying! I've had enough. My head pounds every time I think about him. Eshu slept in the house, but the house was too small for him. Eshu slept on the veranda, but the veranda was too small for him. Having thrown a stone yesterday, he kills a bird today. Lying down, his head hits the roof. Standing up, he cannot see into the cooking pot. Eshu turns right into wrong. Wrong into right. Olaroon, can you hear me? Eshu? Did you, uh, hear me talking just now? What? I can barely hear you! Can you see me from the Sky Kingdom? (sighs) He didn't hear. Uh, yes! I can see you now, Eshu. Did you want something? Uh, no. Just saying hi. How's everyone doing up there? We're all fine! Yeah? Oku make anything new? How about Obatala and Chango? Are they fighting at all? Everyone is happy in the Sky Kingdom, Eshu. Maybe I could come up for a visit. No, no, no. That's not necessary. I have to go, so sorry. Okay, well, send someone to Earth then. What about Oya? She's probably sick of running as a buffalo in the clouds. 
Maybe she wants to stretch her legs down here? Hello? Olorun? I see how it is. Everyone's moved back up to the sky, and now they're all too good to give me the time of day. Well... I'll just have to find someone who will. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today's story is called Eshu and the Great Trick. The mischievous Eshu has appeared in many other Yoruba myths, such as Obatala and the Golden Chain, and Ogun, Creator and Destroyer. He's often antagonistic, goading or tricking his fellow Orishas into violent and destructive acts. In this tale, Eshu once again causes chaos for his own enjoyment. And like always, his frivolous antics put humanity in danger. Coming up, Eshu searches high and low for someone to pester. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Many cultures have a trickster figure. In fact, West Africa has several, from Anansi the spider to Zomo the hare. Their stories usually involve an overzealous prankster that adores wreaking havoc among the gods. When it comes to the Yoruba spirits known as the Orishas, this role is filled by Eshu. Eshu delights in igniting arguments, deceiving humans, and causing embarrassment or disaster to his fellow Orishas. But perhaps his greatest skill is convincing those he's harmed that he shouldn't be punished at all. That's because Eshu understands human nature like none of the other Orishas. He's an expert at playing both sides of every conflict. His nature is that of duality. He's chaos and peace. He's hate and love. He's a friend and an enemy. However, in today's story, he's mostly just lonely. Vivid pinks and oranges spread across the sky as sun descended to earth. He moved quickly, dropping like a lead balloon. For good reason, he was tired. After a long day of shining bright as can be, he needed sleep. Finally, his feet touched down on the field in front of his home, a little shack on a swath of farmland, perfectly sized for him and him alone. Beyond Sun's farm and across a dirt road, a blue light lit up in another, larger house. A glowing woman emerged, yawning. Despite his fatigue, Sun waved excitedly. The woman was Sun's best friend in the world. Hey, Amun. Sorry I came down early today. 
Something about the chill in the air made me get so sleepy. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I'll get up there in a minute. Did you get any farming done before you went to bed yesterday morning? Uh, no. I I'm waning, so I haven't really had the energy. Whining? Waning! Getting thinner? <laughs> uh, real funny! Save your jokes for when I'm awake. You should really try coffee beans. It's like a jolt of energy. I don't know, do I really need that? Not as much happens during the night as the day. Night is important too, Moon. Come on, we all know I'm an afterthought. No one talks about the moon. No one meets up during the night. Unless they're up to no good. You always bring this up, and what do I always say? Plenty of important stuff happens at night. I get to look up and see my best friend. Exactly. Oh, look, Moon! A newcomer! See, something new and exciting is happening. And it's night. Told ya. <laughs> Hello, traveler! A man approached from down the road. He wore a dark cloak and his face was concealed by a cap. He looked down as he hurried along the dirt lane that divided their farms, then disappeared around a bend. That was rude. Who cares? I do. I love meeting new people. I've always dreamt of having loads of friends, like all the people I watch all day from the sky. My house is too small though. I wouldn't be able to fit many guests. Yours is much bigger, Moon. Is it? I hadn't noticed. Obviously it is. Why won't you admit it? Why are you being so pushy about it? Fine, it's bigger. Sun frowned. Sometimes talking to Moon was like pulling teeth. It was always Sun going out of his way to make conversation. Moon never seemed to appreciate it. <sighs> but Sun decided he didn't want to cause a fuss. Moon was his best friend. You know... I love this part of the day. Talking to you about- All right, enough. I've got to get to work. Moon abruptly turned and floated into the sky. Sun watched her go. The open fields were soon bathed in her bluish light. As Sun entered his home and laid his head down for the night, he was filled with dreams about Moon. He was certain they'd be close for all of eternity. Sure, her coldness hurt a little, but he was used to it. His glow faded as he drifted off until it went out completely. As Sun slept in his house, a dark shadow shifted in the brush outside. The figure that passed the friends earlier hadn't walked on at all. He'd rounded the bend and crouched in the dry, crackling undergrowth, watching the two farms. He stared at Sun's dark window, then looked to Moon in the sky. This was Eshu, trickster, hero, monster, savior. They look delightful. Great camaraderie, lots of energy. Maybe I don't need the other Orishas after all. Eshu had been lonely since the other Orishas ascended to the Sky Kingdom. He didn't want to ascend up there. The sky was too perfect. It was a snooze. But he hadn't realized how much of a snooze Earth would be without the others around. He still kind of saw them. Shango, for instance, sent rocks and lightning down to Earth once in a while. It wasn't the same, though. Eshu didn't get to talk to him, to confuse and enrage him. Eshu missed their time together. He missed Ogun and Obatala, too. There was no one left to trick, and trickery was Eshu's love language. 
He could always mess around with people, but humans were too easy, too quick to believe whatever he said. A real friendship meant pushing a friend into chaos and watching them climb out of it again. Then, once they recovered, they tricked him. And they all tricked each other, and it was great fun. But humans didn't climb out of the chaos. They always succumbed. It was depressing. Sun and Moon would be adequate, though. After all, they controlled the order of the day. Once he gained their trust, he could have some fun again. His heart fluttered at the thought of it. Just for a moment, he didn't feel so alone. Early the next morning, while Moon finished up her shift, Eshu strode up the road. He had a spring in his step. He wrapped his black cloak tightly around himself, and he kept his cap pulled down over his eyes. He wanted to wait for the right moment to reveal he was the great Eshu. Really make it a thing. Up ahead, he saw Moon float to the ground and Sun walk out to greet her. Eshu lowered his eyes, concentrating on the dirt road beneath him. His ears perked up as their voices drifted through the air. He couldn't wait to reach his new friends. Slow down, Moon! I haven't even chewed all my coffee beans yet! Hurry up and get up there! I'm gonna do some farming before bed and I need your light. You're such a hard worker. I really admire it. Yeah, I just wish other people felt that way. No one ever thinks the moon. Look! There's that stranger from yesterday. Hey, stranger! Sun, moon, hello, hello. It's about time we met. Oh, you know us? Wow. What's your name? What's your deepest fear? My deepest fear? Why do you want to know that? Sorry, Sun is just impatient to get to know you. <laughs> Slow down, friend. You're so right. I'm always in a hurry. Remember that time I- Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. What time? Don't tell him, it's too embarrassing. Well, I have to now. Unless I want to take a star bath. <laughs> As Shu looked between the two of them, utterly thrown. He had no idea what a star bath was, but they seemed to. Should he know? His cheeks flushed. I'm a Shu! The Orisha? Moon and Sun ignored him. They were reminiscing and laughing so enthusiastically, they'd forgotten Eshu was even there. For a moment, he was frozen. He'd planned a big entrance, expected oohs and ahs and reverence, but it was like he didn't even matter to them. His face burned. He'd never felt like this before, not even when Olorun scolded him for giving Obatala palm wine. For the first time in his entire existence, he was speechless. Eshu backed away and fled. Eshu's heart raced as fast as his feet. He reached a baobab tree and curled up at its base. He pressed his knees to his chest, his heart in his throat. A minute passed, then another. It wasn't long before his embarrassment faded and anger replaced it. He'd tried to make new friends, but not even a famous Orisha could pull their attention. They loved one another too much. He no longer wanted to be their friend. He wanted those loving smiles ripped off their faces. He still wanted to trick them, but now he didn't care if they crawled out of the chaos afterwards. He wanted them to be trapped there forever. 
Coming up, Eshu devises a way to break a friendship apart. Hi, listeners. It's Carter with some truly exciting news. To commemorate the launch of Colts, ParCast's first book, Crime Junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together on July 13th for an in-person and virtual experience you do not want to miss. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature a live Q&A about the book, an exclusive meet and greet, and a discussion on all things true crime. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. It's an amazing organization near and dear to both Ashley and Max, and another great reason to enjoy this wonderful night. And it's just days away, so visit parcast.com slash cults to register today. You can also catch the event virtually on Spotify Live if you are unable to join us in person. All attendees will get a signed copy of the book and a night they'll never forget. July 13th is fast approaching, so be sure to join Ashley Flowers and Max Cutler for a very special evening celebrating the release of ParCast's new book, Cults, all for an incredible cause. Register today at ParCast.com slash cults. Now back to the story. Eshu needed to destroy Moon's friendship with Sun, so he came up with a plan. He hurried into the woods, collecting red berries and green leaves. He mashed each item into a paste and used it to paint his hat. One side he painted red, the other green. He wished he could look at his reflection in a pool. He bet he looked wild. Eshu could barely conceal the spring in his step as he hurried up the road. Sun was already back on his farm, waving goodnight to Moon as she emerged from her house. He saw Sun's shining face turn toward him and smile. Oh, hello, stranger! Look, Moon, the stranger is back. Uh, Yeah, hey, good evening. Eshu didn't stop to say hello. He walked on around the bend and disappeared from their prying eyes. As soon as he was out of sight, he shot into the woods and crept through the brush so he could spy on sun and moon. Was that guy going in a different direction than last time? He was going south, just like always. He was going north. You have it backwards. He had a cane in his hand, and he was walking south. But, no! The pipe in his mouth was pointing north. You can't smoke from the back of your head. Don't get all miffed, moon. One of us just saw it wrong. That's all. You're right. Not worth getting upset over. Eshu's lip curled. Disappointment punched him in the gut. That was it? No bickering? No shoves or shouts? I do like that he changed his hat color, though. I love red. Okay, Moon. Now you're really worrying me. His hat was green. It was red. You're clearly exhausted. Go to bed. You don't have to be so mean. I'm only being mean because you're trying to annoy me, just like you always do with your chatter every morning and night. (gasps) Talking to me, is that terrible? Oh, worse than terrible. Unbearable. I'm just trying to be positive. I could do without it. You're the one always trying to dull my warmth. You won't shut up. Eshu watched the friends fall into bickering, each one trying to outshout the other. 
A shiver of joy rushed through him as their voices rose. His heart finally felt full. (laughs) Guess they're not so close after all. Shut up! Just shut up! I thought we were friends. I've always kept to myself. You're the one who forces us to have a friendship. Well, well, maybe we should spend some time apart then. Fine! As Shu watched Moon float into the sky, arms crossed over her chest, Sun stormed into his house. The door slammed so hard, the whole structure teetered. As Shu sat and waited for something else to happen, maybe Moon would go after Sun with a knife, or Sun would set Moon's house on fire. No, maybe he would set the whole sky on fire, and then humanity would scream for Ashu to help them. He wouldn't. Not right away. He would stand in the middle of the chaos, laughing. But nothing happened. For hours, Ashu waited, drumming his fingers on the tree trunk he hid behind, until finally the evening ended and the day began. Ashu watched Moon float down from the sky and Sun come out of his house. Ashu held his breath, anticipation growing. He wondered which one would take the first swing. But they didn't look at one another. They didn't even speak. Sun leapt into the sky while Moon retreated into her house. That's it! Eshu stayed put for three days, watching Sun and Moon ignore one another. He'd spoiled a perfectly good friendship, but it wasn't enough. There was no chaos, no consequences. Life was just as it had been before, boring and lonely. Eshu wondered if he should just move on, or maybe he hadn't gone far enough. His eyes narrowed as he watched Moon disappear into her home for the day and sun rise into the sky. He wondered what would happen if they didn't stick to this schedule. Sun woke up the planet, Moon controlled the tides. Humanity relied on the rhythm of day to night to day again. If that were to get turned around, the order of the entire world would be upended. Eshu's heart fluttered. He knew just what to do. That morning, before Sun awoke and Moon came down from the sky, Eshu crept up to Sun's door and knocked. He wore his black cap over his eyes and his cloak pulled up to his chin. Mm. Who is it? A new friend. Oh, the stranger from the road! Hi! Holoroon's mercy, you're a sunny fellow. (laughs) Well, I am the sun. How can I help you? I was just walking along... Hoping to find a friend to dine with. Really? I'd love a friend. I used to have a really good one, but... Sun glanced sadly at Moon's empty house before quickly looking away. But Eshu caught it. He made a big show of turning around. Huh. Look at that house. It's so much bigger than yours. Maybe I should have dinner there. More room to laugh and eat. No, no, uh, my house isn't small. It's cozy. Cozy is just a fancy word for small, isn't it? Hmm, it's strange. What's strange? You're the sun, yet you have the smaller house. That seems wrong. You're in the sky for longer than Moon is. The harder worker should get the bigger house. I also do more important things, like helping plants grow. That's true! What terrible luck! 
I just don't see how your cottage could fit both of us. I should go. Wait! What if we ate over there, at Moon's house? That could work. All right. Go to that house and I'll meet you later for dinner. I want to gather some others, especially now that we have some more space. Sun beamed. His glow was so bright that Ashu had to shield his eyes. The Orisha backed away and hurried down the road. When he glanced over his shoulder, he smiled as he saw Sun disappear into Moon's house. Eshu hid behind a tree and waited. He quivered with anticipation. The minutes ticked by until finally Moon descended from the sky. As she drew near, her blue glow bathed the dry grass of the plain in a ghostly light. Eshu leapt out of his hiding place and hurried up to her. Moon? Hi. Oh, hello. You're the stranger from the road, right? I just thought you should know, Sun broke into your house. What? Olarun's mercy! I can see him shining in there! He's touching all of my things! You know what I think happened? He realized the house sizes didn't make sense, with him being so important and all. What does that mean? Sun feeds the crops, warms the humans, helps everyone see, and spends more time in the sky. Seems like he should get the bigger house, right? Night is important, too. Is it? Have you even tried rising during the day? I bet there's way more going on. Moon didn't answer. She was already running across the field to her house. She banged on the door until Sun opened it. Get out of my house! No! You shouldn't get the bigger house when I work way harder. And I have some friends coming over. Fine! you're taking my house, I'm taking your shift. (gasps) You can't. Watch me. Moon shot into the air before Sun could stop her. She watched her bluish glow light up the earth below. She smirked. It looked much prettier than silly sunlight. She hovered there, looking down on the world as it woke up. She could see villagers rise and animals stir in the jungle. So much activity, so much life. People left their homes, worked on their farms, plants reached up towards her, desperate for warmth. It was way more interesting than the few creepy crawlies or nocturnal beasts she saw each night. Moon smiled. Not only was daytime way more exciting, soon everyone would appreciate how important the moon really was. For days, Moon took to the sky while Sun rose for a brief period in the evenings. Sun was always quick to return to Moon's house for fear Moon would retake it. But Moon didn't even try. She loved the new cycle. What she didn't realize was how much trouble it was causing. Moon never saw the world during the day, so she didn't know how unusual the havoc on the ground was. Every night, sun rose into the sky, ruining everyone's rest and keeping them awake. Every morning, moon took her shift, depriving plants of sunlight and humans of heat to dry their clothes. The tides were thrown into disarray, and soon huge waves battered the shorelines. Fights broke out more readily, plants died, humans became delirious, 
It wasn't long until the Earth resembled a wasteland. Soggy, flooded plains manned by humans who viciously fought over the little food that was left. Eshu loved it. It was a world in disorder, all his doing. Each village that drowned, each forest that died, was like nectar to his soul. There was always something to look at, something to entertain himself with. That loneliness he'd felt before was now a distant afterthought. That is, until he heard a voice that made his heart sink. Eshu! What have you done? Uh-oh. Coming up, Eshu tries to trick the most powerful being in existence. Now back to the story. Eshu! What have you done? Eshu shivered at the sound of Olorun's voice. He hadn't actually considered the supreme being would shove their supreme nose into his business. But now that their words boomed around him, he wondered how he could have been so stupid. If there was anyone Eshu was scared of, it was Olorun. Eshu, get up here. Now. All the way up to the Sky Kingdom? Are you sure we can't just talk like this? Eshu felt an unseen force grab his waist and yank him off the ground. He hurtled towards the sky. The wind whipped at his face as he ripped through the clouds. Finally, he burst past the mist and beheld the Sky Kingdom. He used to live here before Obatala made the world below and he descended the gold chain to reach it. Seeing it again after all this time took his breath away. It was a world much like the one below, except perfect, with gentle hills, baobab trees, and lazy rivers. Eshu craned his neck, hoping to see his old Orisha buddies. Shango would be especially hard to miss. A shadow towered over him. It was Olorun. They were so tall, Eshu had to squint to see the swirling vortex of light and clouds that made up their face. The chameleon Agamo stalked back and forth on their shoulders. Eshu swallowed. In Olorun's presence, he felt small and weak, not like himself at all. Mighty Olorun, I can explain. The oceans are in an uproar. Animals and plants have withered. People are starving. Your incessant need to provoke has gone too far. I watched you tease Obatala, push Ogun and Shango to war. But humanity is another matter, Eshu. You are meant to guide them, not destroy them. Who said it was me? Tell me what you have done so that I can make it right. Fine. I convinced Sun and Moon to switch houses and go into the sky at different times, but I had to. I have nobody down there with me. No equals to prank or prank me. Everything running smoothly all the time. It's awful. It has reversed the order of the day. It's actually funny if you think about it. Silence! <sighs> Agama, bring Sun and Moon to me. The chameleon slithered off Olorun's shoulders and disappeared into the cloud cover below. Eshu opened his mouth to explain, but Olorun held up a hand. No talking! Every time you open your mouth, you ruin something. <laughs> Stop that too! They stood there in silence. 
As Shu hated silence, it made his heart pound and his underarms sweat. He tensed, desperate to say something, anything. He ground his teeth, conjuring whatever self-control he could. Finally, the warm glow of sun and the cool blue of moon shone through the clouds. They landed beside Ashu, arms crossed, ignoring each other. Do you both want to tell me what happened? He took my hat. He took my ship. Yeah, well, he's always talking my ear off. She was my best friend. You were my best friend, too. You two were so busy bickering. Did you not notice the world unraveling below? What? Everyone is sleeping when I go up now. What do you mean unraveling? Oceans flooding, people starving, killing, crying. Isn't it always like that? No! That's terrible! (sighs) You have Eshu to thank for the discord. He drove this wedge between you. Eshu? Yeah, fine. I dressed as a wacky stranger and made you bigger, and then I convinced Sun to take Moon's house and Moon to take Sun's shift. Happy? Not in the least. Sun, Moon, I suggest you make amends. I have, Mr. Chats. I suppose I have to. Perhaps I can bring you up in the sky with me sometimes. At the end of my shift, a little overlap so people can see you better. I'd like that. You can use my house for big dinners if you'd like. Sun held out his hand. Moon took it. They smiled. Then they floated down through the clouds and out of sight. A lesson learned. A world saved. Things will go back to normal now and Ashu the hero will return to wandering the earth, searching for a new friend to coax into mischief. Absolutely not! You're not going to just waltz out of here, back to your old antics. What to do, what to do, I I can't think. Mm, This has all been such a headache. Oh, why don't we put a pin in it? Punish me in the morning? No, you'll just do something to get yourself out of it. I won't, I promise. I'm exhausted too. Uh, See? Fine. But you're staying in the Sky Kingdom tonight. I'll have my eye on you, Eshu, so don't try anything. Of course. Eshu smiled widely as Olorun departed, but his heart thrummed in his chest. He did not want to get punished by Olorun. The Supreme God created the Orishas. They could destroy Eshu with the flick of their hand if they thought that was what he deserved. He had to get out of here. One doesn't just run from Olorun, though. Olorun could find anyone, anywhere. Eshu took in the Sky Kingdom around him, desperate for an idea, anything that would get him out of this. His eyes landed on Olorun's vegetable garden. Eshu knew that the Supreme God was very careful with their vegetables. They spent every morning tending to their yams and every afternoon raking the soil until it was pristine. Maybe Eshu didn't have to escape. He just needed to draw attention away from him and on to someone else. That night, Moon took her usual place in the sky and night fell over the land below. Things were as they should be. Eshu waited until Olorun had retired for the night and then poked around the sky palace. 
Olorun's chambers were on its south side, just past the gnarled baobab tree where Obatala used to sit. When Eshu crept inside, Olorun was asleep. A massive pair of slippers sat by their bedside. The shoes were so big, only Olorun's feet could fit them. Eshu snatched them up and raced out of the room. He hurried to the garden. There, he took the slippers and shoved them on his feet. They were way too big, of course, but he didn't need to walk far. He trudged through the mud to Olorun's precious yams. Eshu dug frantically, pulling as many yams as he could from the ground. He shoved them into his pockets and then carefully hobbled back, making sure to create deep, Olorun-sized footprints in the mud. It wasn't until he made it out of the garden that he finally realized he had no idea where to hide the yams. He looked around, frantic. Sun was going to rise soon, and if the other Orishas saw him with Olorun's crops, he'd be in trouble. In a panic, he tossed the yams off the edge of the Sky Kingdom. Then he snuck back into Olorun's room and returned the slippers. He stood there for a moment watching Olorun sleep. A wicked smile crept over his face. This devious plan wasn't for his own entertainment. It was for survival. Even so, he couldn't wait for tomorrow to see the chaos unfold. The next morning, Eshu arrived back at the garden. As he approached, he saw that Olorun stood over their ruined yams, looking at the mess in dismay. Three other Orishas stood around the garden, Shango in his red and white robes, Ogun in his green, Obatala in white. Eshu's heart soared at the sight of them. It was so good to see his old friends. Shango, you look well, just as ornery as ever. Oh my, Okun, is that a new sword? Eshu, did you do this? Uh, no, of course not. Do what? Someone stole my yams and churned up my garden in the middle of the night. Well, it wasn't me. Give them back! How could I steal them? Look at these footprints. They're huge. Obviously not mine. And... Olorun, your slippers, they're covered in mud. I... I... Eshu! I knew you'd try to trick me! Olorun, stealing your own yams and blaming little old me? You're the high god, you should be above that. What do you think of this, Obatala? Ogun? Eshu looked at the other Orishas, eager to see them all turn on Olorun. But... They were all shaking their heads at him. Not one of them was falling for it. The revelation stabbed Eshu through the heart. He felt tears well up in his eyes. Not long ago, at least one of these Orishas would have listened to him. Watching their faces now, he only saw disgust. Everything had changed. The others had moved on while Eshu stayed put. He was the last one on earth, the silly god who lingered too long at a party. Olorun seemed to notice Eshu's epiphany because their expression turned gentle. Eshu, why must you do this? Look, maybe I just miss how things used to be. Now that you're all gone from earth, I feel lost. No one wants me there. No one wants me here. Where do I go? Who is there to hang out with? Who is a shoe with no one to trick? 
<sighs> I've decided what to do with you. Let's hear it. You will live on Earth, among the humans, but you will report to me every night and tell me what happened that day. I want to keep an eye on you. You're making me a messenger? The link between gods and humans. Can you handle it? Wait, this is my punishment? It's your responsibility. You've never had a purpose, Eshu. I'd like to see what you do with one. I think you'll be less of a headache if your time is occupied. Eshu turned to the earth below. He could see the villages, the humans milling about, the steady rhythm of life. A grin spread across his face. So let me get this straight. I'm the one who hears the prayers of humans. I'm the one who keeps an eye on humanity. I'm the one who controls what you see. I'm the messenger. Yes! Do you think you can take that seriously? Of course I can. Great! And issue, your first task. Go get my yams. Eshu did not hesitate. He leapt through the clouds and plunged down to the earth below. He felt the wind whip against his face and his heart pound with purpose. He meant what he'd said. He would take this job seriously. He'd be the messenger that Olorun asked him to be. He was now of the sky, but also the earth. Of the people, but also the gods. He had the best of both worlds at his fingertips, which meant there were plenty of new ways to sow some chaos. Let the talking drums speak. Let the talking drums speak about the legacy of Eshu, the trickster, the scoundrel, now the messenger. He sits at a crossroads, waiting to lead you astray or direct you wisely. He lingers at the market, eager to help you sell your wares or stop you from making a profit. He hovers over your altar, monitoring your prayers. Honor him. Sacrifice to him. Respect him. Just don't trust him. Some believe that Ashu's greatest trick is convincing the sun and moon to switch houses, which reversed the order of the day. But it's by no means his only trick. Eshu duped Ogun into violent drunkenness, Obatala into creating misshapen humans, and framed the great Olorun as a yam thief. The list goes on. Eshu means something different to everyone. He's either the god who will deliver your prayers to Olorun, or the corrupt spirit that will use those prayers against you. Some Yoruba villages take care to protect themselves against his mischief, but also pay homage to his power. They set up shrines of red laterite rock outside their buildings. Other communities hold festivals and dances in his honor. That's because the same abilities Eshu is honored for, cleverness, speed, charm, sight, are the ones he uses to confuse and disrupt. Tricksters can alarm us because they question a definitive moral code. They test what we're willing to put up with and push both humans and gods to their breaking point. But they're also effective at pointing out society's ills. 
They reveal weaknesses in our heroes and ask us to consider that no one is perfect. This is, perhaps, the most benevolent form of trickery. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Robert Teamstra, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Kai Jordan, and Charlie Wess. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, it's Carter, here to remind you that a very special evening with crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler is just days away. It's an event celebrating the release of ParCast's first book, Colts, and you can be a part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles on July 13th and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and more. Plus, all ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. This has all the makings of being the true crime event of the year, so don't miss out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of Parcast's new book, Cults. That's parcast.com slash cults to sign up today. <laughs>